You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. And Jesus Christ, he had a deep love for the next generation. When the crowds gathered around Jesus, it wasn't just the Hebrew men. It was the women and it was the children. In fact, we see that Jesus lifted up, he honored, he advocated for children in front of adults all the time. He did not want us to forget the children. When Jesus went into the temple, who was it that was singing so loud that the Pharisees got upset? Was it not the children? You see, people came to Jesus. They learned from Jesus. They followed Jesus. They prayed Jesus in families. Well, let's go to the first day of the New Testament church. Maybe you're saying, I got the point. Let's just drive it home, huh? Now, has anybody ever read Acts 2.38 in this audience? Can we quote it together? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Can you quote verse 39? You and your children and all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now I ask you, we have a lot of Bible scholars in this audience. For you and your children, now is, is Peter referring to infant baptism? Nope. Baptizing babies? I don't think so. I think we would all agree that Peter is saying, listen, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins. You make him Lord. You're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you model that to your children. And they grow up. And they learn. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They repent of their sins. They make Jesus Lord. And then they're baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and they're added to God's kingdom. Amen? This is a direct reference to God's generational vision for his church. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that fathers are to nurture, to train their children up in the ways of the Lord. In Titus chapter 2, Paul says that older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and have an atmosphere of love in their homes so that their children can understand what it means to have God's love in their lives. You know, one of my favorite passages recently is 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is going to be great. It says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? From infancy. Timothy was an outstanding evangelist. He was one of the great evangelists of his time. Did Timothy's training as an evangelist begin on the day he met Paul? I don't think so. The Bible says that it began on his grandmother's knee, in his mother's arms, as from infancy they taught him 
the scriptures of God. And then Paul, who was a single, came along. And this single man, in partnership with Timothy's parents, came together to raise Timothy up to be the mighty man of God that we read about in the New Testament. You know, in the ICOC, we have some incredible strengths. In our fellowship, we have amazing strengths. And I've got to tell you, one of the ones that I'm so, so fired up about is our campus ministries. We have incredible campus ministries. It's amazing to think that we had almost 3,000 campus disciples here this weekend. Can I hear you campus disciples? And you saw over a thousand campus disciples baptized this last year. It's amazing when you think that every year they're graduating another year, but they keep on growing. But I want to ask all of you, how many of you are the result of a campus ministry? How many of you are baptized in a campus ministry? Look at that. It's amazing. And so therefore, for good reason, aren't we all fans of the campus ministry? Amen. And the amazing thing is campus ministry is so essential for true generational evangelism. Because we're reaching these young men and women. And we're giving them the chance to have pure relationships. To be able to base their character and their relationship on the principles of God's word. And to be able to build a family based on God and his will for our lives. We're also incredibly good at geographic expansion. I think it's amazing that we are in 150 nations. Last night when Doug was talking about that, I just got thrilled all over again to see God's incredible reach around the world. But let's be honest. I'm also very sober to think that we're a mile wide and maybe a half an inch deep. Now, I'm not discouraged. Far from it, actually. I'm fired up. Because we are the beginning. We're the seed, right? But how do we get from this seed to reaching the world? How do we get from this beginning to reaching every man and every woman and every nation? See, generational evangelism reconciles the vastness of the world with our dream to reach everyone. Do you understand? Generational evangelism is what places the world within our reach. There are so many great things happening in youth and family ministries around the, the United States right now. I mean, Boston, San Antonio, you know, Northern Virginia, New York. It's incredible to see what's happening in all these youth and family ministries around the country. I'm so fired up at what God is doing right now in Denver. You know, this last year, we graduated our, our, uh, a class of seniors. And it's been really amazing. Eric and I feel like parents to every single one of them. To watch what God has done in their lives as they've gone into campus. You know, our local campus ministry is led by Brian and Christina Campbell, and they are doing a phenomenal job. One of the fastest growing campus ministries in the United States, I believe. But what I really appreciate is how they've welcomed our disciples into their ministry locally. 
and to be able to help them to realize their gifts and to expand their faith and be used. This last year, we graduated 15 disciples into our local campus ministry, and they were fruitful, they were evangelistic, and all of them ended their freshman year faithful to Christ. But not only that, we sent seven disciples out of the Denver youth ministry to other college campuses and other places. Two of them went to Argentina for a year-long mission trip. One went to Georgia State, studied the Bible with a friend, she got baptized. Another went to Duke University, studied the Bible with two friends, they were baptized. Another went to Tufts University in Boston, studied the Bible with a friend from her chemistry class, she was baptized. Another went to uh, Colorado State University in Fort Collins, met a roommate the first day, studied the Bible with her, she was baptized. Another came here and is today a summer intern in the St. Louis Church as a teen intern. Isn't that incredible? That's a great graduating class. On our International Churches of Christ service team, we have 11 elder couples. Sort of our elder statesman, Ron Brumley, added it up one time and shared with me that we have 11 couples, and from those couples, you know, all our children are faithful, but the incredible thing is there are 72 grandchildren. I think that's kind of go forth and multiply. God has an amazing generational plan. Now, I want to show you this picture. That's Mount Fuji. When we lived in Japan, the brothers and I decided we were going to climb Mount Fuji one time. And the way you do it is you start out in the middle of the night, you literally climb all night. Your goal is to get to the top of Mount Fuji by about four in the morning. It's freezing up there, but you go there for a reason. You want to see the sunrise. And when you get up there, you're above the cloud cover, and you're looking out, and just at sunrise, a pinprick of light appears on the horizon. And then while you're watching, this sort of golden glow, like molten gold, starts to spread across the top of the clouds. And as the sun rises and reaches the full day, it lights up and illuminates everything around you for miles and miles and miles. Right now, as God's people, we are seeing the pinprick of light on the horizon. When we see kingdom kids like Lambert's go to Madrid or the Buckholz's go to Milan, when we see the kingdom kids go into the full-time ministry around the country, when we see the kingdom kids starting godly families, succeeding in their careers and being an example for Jesus Christ in their workplaces and their communities. We're beginning to see the dawn of the next generation. Can you imagine if this goes on decade after decade after decade, what God is going to do through this seed of faith right here, amen? So we need to believe, and we need to support, and we need to cheer on our campus ministries. We need to believe, and we need to sacrifice for our missions. But today, as an elder, whether you're a campus student, a single, or a married, I want to tell you, we need to also believe that there's no more important step to reaching the world than to starting in our homes and reaching our families for Christ. Amen? So, what's next? 
God wants us to build a generational church. Generational church is where we're going to understand the fullness of Christianity. You know, family teaches family. Eric and I, we love our parents. We were loved by our parents and we're so grateful to them. But they were not Christians and they did not know how to teach us to build a godly family. We had no default. We had no godly blueprint. We learned it at church. I'm sure that many of you might have similar experiences or even traumatic ones. And I want to give you hope today. This is something we can learn. This is something we can understand and develop as a part of God's church. Amen? One of the greatest gifts of grace God has given us is the ability to break the cycle and to start a new legacy in our homes. And I want to tell you, for Eric and I, that training started long before we even knew each other. It started when we first taught a kingdom, kid's kingdom class. And we learned Roll the Gospel Chariot along. We learned how to sing deep and wide. We saw parents disciplining their kids and oh, that's how you do it. It continued when we volunteered for the teen ministry. And we realized how difficult it is, difficult it is for our teenagers to grow up in ungodly high schools and how much support they need. It continued going to midweeks and listening to lessons like today about family before we even had a steady girlfriend or boyfriend. And understanding, oh, that's God's blueprint for how things are supposed to be done. It's because of families like the Gorganises or the Bairds or many others who took the time to invite us in their home so that we could sit around their dinner table or even came to our home and sat around our dinner table so that we could learn how to pass on our faith to the next generation. You cannot Google how to build a godly family. It is learned in his generational church. Amen? Amen. Family builds faith. You know, nothing humbles us more than parenting. Right, parents? How about a bigger amen than that? I mean, when it comes to family, don't we all live in a glass house? Like, it doesn't really matter what your job is, what your education is, you know, how awesome everybody else in the church thinks you are. Your family will humble you. And let me be very clear today. If our kids become Christians, it is by the grace of God. I have sinned so much that I will tell you today, I cannot claim credit for my children following Christ. That is just the grace of God. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all have weaknesses. And we need to understand that whether our kids follow Christ or take their time to follow Christ, it's the grace of God. But in between what's happening, God is using our families to build our faith. Our faith as parents. I remember, man, I remember that first time I realized I can't go down to the school and punch that bully in the face for my daughter. I felt so weak, like I'm not, I'm not in control. And that's when I realized that, that I, I need to pray. I remember being challenged on so many flaws in my character and realizing I need to pray. I don't know when it was, but Eric and I started a tradition of fasting every month for our family. 
And for as long as I can remember, we've taken a day every month and we fast for our family just for them to know God, to love God. Because it's not about getting baptized. It's about walking with God for the rest of your lives. And you know, I, I must admit, I didn't quite understand how life works. So I was pretty excited that as they got close to leave, going to college, that we would become empty nesters and I might get that one day of, of eating back in my schedule. But you know, then they go to school and you're not there. And you go, what's going to happen to them? Who's going to influence them? And you pray more. And then if you have daughters, they meet some guy. Like some guy, and you know, suddenly, you know, all that, all that wisdom that you have as a father, it's now been sort of subservient to this amazing guy. And you know, I'm sure he's a great guy, but I don't know him. And then they're standing there on their wedding day saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you go, whatever, wherever you lead, I'm going to follow you. And in your head, you know it's right, but in your heart, it's like, I need to pray. I need to pray for that guy. And you do. And you get reliant and you trust God even more. And then they have children. It's not over, guys. If you haven't been a grandparent yet, you still start thinking, ten fingers, ten toes, ten fingers, ten toes. <laughs> On the way here, our children, Miyoko and Jason, were driving with little Lincoln in the back. And they were somewhere in Arizona, driving from L.A. to Denver. And they experienced a horrible car accident. The car completely flipped over upside down. All the airbags deployed, the paramedics said later that if the airbags hadn't worked perfectly, you probably wouldn't be alive. At just that moment in time, there were no other cars on the road. They missed the cliffs on one side and the trees. They landed on the side. Every window in the car was busted out. They crawled out of their seats. And when they went through the back window to get little Lincoln, who's three months old, they realized there was one window that didn't break, and it was the one next to him, the baby. And you keep praying because you're not in control. And you know what? You never stop learning. I want to show you a, a video sharing, a testimony from our son Jason. And I want to encourage all of you parents because Sometimes our kids walk away, and that's not a time to give up. That's a time to build faith. My name is Jason, the son of Bruce and Robin Williams. I grew up in the church and was baptized at age 14. As a Christian in high school and college, I saw God do amazing things. However, toward the end of my senior year of college, I began to doubt God's goodness toward me after a disappointing end to a relationship. I ended up leaving God and delved deep into the world of drugs, women, and drinking. Needless to say, this crushed my parents. I could tell they didn't know what to do, but they were willing to do whatever it took to help me come back. 
My dad was always wanting to spend time together. He would often ask me how I was doing spiritually and if I was ready to come back. I remember one day telling him that I don't want to talk about it. And if you continue to talk about it, then we won't have a relationship. It was around then that he began asking me what he needed to change. He asked for my forgiveness for anything and everything in the past. Even though it was me who was hard-hearted and had the issues with God, he made it about what he needed to change and not what I needed to. I began to notice a big change in him. He was more humble, loving, and expressive. Even though he knew I was on my spiritual journey, he never stopped reaching out to me and insisting on being together. We'd meet up at least bi-weekly to play racquetball and would take annual fishing trips together. I remember one time some friends of mine were planning a trip to Vegas and asked if I wanted to go. I told them how badly I wanted to go, but my dad was wanting to go on this fishing trip together. I'll never forget my friend's response. He said, wow, your dad actually wants to spend time with you? I wish my dad was like that. I don't even talk to him. I felt my heart begin to turn back toward my parents and my perspective on life began to change as well. I thought to myself, Jason, you are so ungrateful and have no idea just how awesome your dad is. I still had a long way to go before coming back to God, but God began moving in my heart. My parents said that although it was a scary prayer to pray, they prayed, God, do whatever you need to do to bring Jason back to you. Just spare his life. They also enlisted as many people as possible to pray for me. I believe that it was through all those prayers that God began to work my life. After a night in Hollywood with a girl I was trying to impress, we were pulled over for a broken taillight in a brand new car I just bought. The police gave me a field sobriety test and after failing, placed me in handcuffs, sat me down on the curb and put her in a cab home. I began to think, what are you doing with your life? This isn't how you were raised. The very next day, Marco Pelizzeri showed up at my place of work. I fell into his arms and told him I wanted to study the Bible. See, I believe that night God responded to all those many prayers and caused that taillight to go out. Fortunately, it wasn't a paralyzing accident, but it was enough to cause me to question the path I was on. He drew me back with cords of kindness and grace. Since my repentance and coming back, God has lavished his blessings upon me. He gave me a life beyond my wildest dreams, a beautiful wife in Miyoko and our incredible new son, Lincoln. If your son or daughter has left God, I want to encourage you to not give up praying for them, enlisting others to pray for them, and be willing to change whatever you need to change for them. Your love, prayers, and humility will make a difference. So proud of our son. But you know, there's no guarantee on how our children will respond. They are individuals with a free will. But what we can choose is how we're going to respond. As parents, as brothers, sisters, friends, how faithful will we get? That's what family does. You know, family also brings about maturity in God's church. We won't spend a lot of time here, but I think we all know the scriptures about what it means to have and to qualify, to have one and to, to become an elder, to qualify as an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, it refers to many, many character traits, but then especially how it's reflected in a person's home, in their family. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about the fact that we need elders to work in concert with evangelists and teachers in order to truly mature God's churches. Al Baird told me once, he said, 
You know, you can build a house in a few months, but it takes years to build, to, to grow an oak tree. We have a dream. We have a dream to reach millions upon millions upon millions and millions of people in this world. How many oak trees do we need? I was baptized in 1980. I was appointed as an evangelist in 1983. Not a very good evangelist, I might add, but I was appointed as an evangelist. I was baptized in 1980. I was appointed as an evangelist in the year 2008. You can't shortcut what takes a lifetime. And if we want to see thousands upon thousands of oaks around which God wants to build his kingdom, we need to get going in our families right now, amen? As a church, we need to put our arms around each other and say, we will raise up the next generation. And lastly, family means that each part does its work. And first of all, I just want to say, parents, this is our calling. It's our role. It can't be outsourced to someone else. It's not about the youth minister. It's not about the kids' kingdom teacher. It's not about the elders of your church. It's about us as parents. We just had an entire married track on this, so I don't really need to say much, except I want to share this. I serve with some of the most incredible men that I've known in the eldership in the Denver church. There are six of us. These five other men are outstanding examples of faith and character. But when I think about our children, they've experienced learning disabilities, eating disorders, broken relationships, divorces with spouses that have left the Lord, struggles with worldliness. One of my favorite stories is one of our elders. His daughter was going through a very tough time in high school. She did not want to read her Bible. He would wait until he heard the hairdryer stop in the bathroom, which meant she was done with that and she was doing her makeup. And he would knock on the door and come and sit on the toilet and read her scripture every day before she went to school. And today that daughter is married to a Christian and they volunteer in our youth and family ministry and they're doing awesome. But it's about grabbing hold of your kids and never letting go. But secondly, it's about every ministry contributing our skills and our gifts to raising up all of our children. I know that many of us don't have kids today, and if that's the case, I know you might be thinking, what, what does that have to do with me? Well, I hope this is giving you a vision for your future, but I also hope it's giving you a vision of God's heart for our children and Jesus' heart for our children. And is it, if it's important to Christ, isn't it important to us? If this is a part of God's dream for his people, shouldn't be, it be a part of our dream as well? You know, campus and singles ministries, you are always going to be a pillar for our family ministries. You enable our kids to go into a safe place where they're supported and they're secure, where they can expand their wings and spread out spiritually and develop their own independent convictions. 
You provide aspirational examples. When I think about Miyoko, Manami, and Mimi, I can't help but think of the names Mayume, Ayako, Andrea, Kate, Megan, Vanessa, Amy, all singles, all volunteers who took out time to spend time with our daughters and share with them about God. If you're married, young or old, then we need to bond together and help our children, amen? We need to form villages of uncles and aunts who our kids can go to. We have so many people like that in our lives that we're so grateful to. Our kids need to grow up in a community where they know that they are loved. And today, if you're a church leader, then I want to talk to you. I want to thank you. Without your support, there would be no Hope Youth Corps. Without your support, there would be no family ministry, youth and family ministry conferences. There would be no camps. Thank you for the years of, of crying and praying with us as we, we work through parenting and try to raise our children. But I would like to ask all church leaders to get a vision for how much more God wants to do in our families. Not to get overwhelmed because this is not just another program. This is actually the vision in the heart of God that is woven through everything else that we do in the church. So thankful to John and Barry Lusk, to the eldership and the leadership team of the Denver church, the staff, who have been incredible in supporting the family ministry in our church. The youth and family ministry has prominence on the calendar. We have parent devos every week, I mean every month. We've got kids camp, preteen camp, middle school camp, teen camp. We've got father-daughter dances and father and son getaway camping trips. Our entire Denver Church of Christ married ministry is organized around our kids and their ages. And we realize we need to start even earlier. Not just middle school parents, not just elementary school parents, but even preschool parents, because we're realizing that that's where it all really begins. And so in Denver, we've got a vision of a family ministry that goes from cradle to campus. We would like to redefine family ministry as being one seamless pipeline from cradle to campus so that the transitions are smooth and that our kids are brought along at age-appropriate faith all along the way. And I want to invite all of you next year on Labor Day weekend. The Denver Church of Christ has linked arms with the ICOC Youth and Family Ministry Service Team with the Children's uh, Kids Kingdom uh, Ministry Leaders of the San Diego Church. And in Denver, we're going to host the 2017 Family Conference in Colorado. So put that on your calendars and mark the date. This has been an amazing year for me and Erica. It's been a year of deepened convictions beyond what we've ever had. February 25th, Emmy Alethea Lippincott was born, our first grandchild. On March 13th, Lincoln Taka Williams was born, our grandson. That's Lincoln right there. Now, Lincoln's father, Jason, has a very cool job. He works for Gold's Gym Corporation. And he managed the Venice Beach location for Gold's Gym, which is the one that always shows up on TV. 
Movie stars, actors, athletes work out there. It gets kind of rub elbows with these guys. Well, one of the guys who works out there is a gentleman named Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer is known by some of the UFC fans, and yes, I heard it's okay for a Christian to be a fan of UFC. And he is known by UFC fans as the voice of the octagon. The announcer for UFC fighting. And when he heard about Lincoln's birth, he wanted to give Jason and Lincoln a present. And so he recorded this video, and I'd like to share this with you. Ladies and gentlemen, on this very special day, March 13th, 2016, a very special young man was born and brought into the world. A man who will achieve greatness. A man who will be a future champion. Weighing in at seven pounds, one ounce, standing tall at 20 inches long, presenting the future champion of the world, Lincoln Tucker! pounds, 20 inches, the future champion of the world. And God looks down on us today and he says 150 nations. I know the sacrifice. I know how hard it's been. I know the challenges. I know the dark times and the great times. And I am so proud of you church. And God looks at us today. A hundred thousand stories of miracle and grace around the world. Every one of them, the result of faith and perseverance and love and compassion. And he says, I'm so proud of you. And I believe that God looks at us today and says, I, I, you've only just begun. I believe that God looks at us today and says, if you'll reach up and see my glory and see heaven itself, if you'll reach in and you'll allow me to transform your life with my power, if you'll reach out by deciding to love all the lost and take the leap of faith, and today if we recommit ourselves to his plan, as individuals, as families, and as a church universal. To obey his greatest command and to pass our love for him on to the next generation. Then I believe with all of my heart that God looks at us today and he says, You will reach the world! Amen! Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.